Let's stand open our Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 20, we'll read verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab, the children of Ammon, with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. And behold, they be in that place, which is in Engedi. Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? Rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? I was burdened over the course of the revival there. Things God puts in your heart. I appreciate every message that was preached. It was like every text I read this week. Everything I thought about, everything I heard was shouting the same thing. And young people, I don't, I don't know if we'll preach on this in chapel or a few more services. I'm not for certain. Uh, I, could, I could have gone off 20 different texts because every text was telling me the same thing. I, I look at the future of our young people and the future of every couple in here and, and see the potential battles that we are facing. And I want to make sure as a pastor of this church, I'm doing everything possible to help equip you for those moments and for those battles and for those struggles. And this week as Brother Morgan preached on Daniel. I didn't want to go back to the book of Daniel, although that's an incredible springboard into this subject, about how he was equipped. And he spoke of Josiah and Jeremiah and those men in his life that helped equip him for the struggles of life. And here's what we see in the Bible, these Bible characters. We see real tests, real tragedy, real struggles that they face. This is one of those chapters. We know the division of the kings. You have the divided kingdom here, Judah and Israel. Regrettably, Israel never had a single decent king. We're looking at Jehoshaphat for a moment. I don't want to look at his entire life, and I don't want to take time to go over the history of him as a king. I want you to see this moment in his life, this battle, this impossible battle that he was facing. And I want to highlight this as parents. Our young people tend to struggle before any of life's real battles. They tend to tear up and, and, and cry and break down and get frustrated over the simplest of struggles in life. And I believe we're doing the next generation a misjustice by not helping them equip themselves. If, if these kids go on an overnight camp out, they go equipped. If they come to school, they come with their backpacks. They come equipped. If they do anything from the tennis court to the football field, they go equipped. And to think that we wouldn't be paying attention to their futures and saying, are they equipped for marriage? Are, are they equipped for the, the opposition they're going to face in the world? Are they equipped for 
the battles, the financial struggles and childrearing, are they equipped? We understand you can't be totally equipped 10 years in advance, but they can be well on their way. And we can make sure every day we're putting a piece of that equipment. We're making sure that they're going into the next phase, phase of life, next stage of life, equipped for the struggles that are to come. Now, here's, here's an issue. We talk about the greatest generation. We talk about previous generations. This uh, generation of millennials, they get sick and tired of hearing that terminology and being compared to previous generations. But luxuries and what we have in our hands in this generation has made us softer. And it's almost as if we've all become entitled in the sense of there is literally panic on the faces of any American that thinks about having to do with less. We have excess. We have more than any other generation. It's not just a vehicle, they're nicer vehicles. We, we hear about people riding in wagons and, and crossing over from east to, to the west, the United States, and the, the Indians and wagon trains and all that, and it almost seems like a movie set. It seems surreal to think about what people used to have to deal with, what people used to have to do just to survive on a daily basis. But if you travel around the world, you understand that for many, survival is still a daily battle. And if you deal with a young person and he doesn't get to go out as, as much as he would like to, he doesn't buy the name brand of shoes that he desires. If, if our young ladies don't have as many dresses as they would hope for or can't get a new Easter outfit, literally our struggles are laughable. We talk about terminology that's a first world problem if you've ever visited or lived in a third world country you'll understand the meaning of that because most of the problems we deal with they're not real life problems they're fabricated in our minds because of our dependency upon luxury but here's what we've done through medication and through uh, technology and healthy living we're expanding life expectancy and when you travel to other countries we've been in africa and I remember talking, whether that was Uganda or Zimbabwe uh, or Malawi, body structures are different because of the lack of nutrition or because of diseases or because of AIDS or uh, continual battles with malaria and typhoid. And when, when you go to these countries and life expectancy is 38, 42, most don't know their grandparents. And we live in a country where life expectancy is well into your 70s. We're not going to a funeral every week or every other week, but there are people that live like that and it's a normal part of life and we're so distant from that kind of life. Anything that causes us anxiety truly forces us to struggle, causes us pain, immediately becomes our enemy. Young people, you see everyone in the Bible, there's a pattern here. Not just of struggles, but of facing real tragedy and yet triumphing over that. It's because someone helped equip them. And they made sure they were equipped. 
And when we talk about equipping, you're looking at people in the same circumstances. Why is it that Joseph had uh, 10 siblings around him? None of them were equipped, but he was. Why is it when these uh, young men were carried off into Babylon and put in the palace, the most bowed, most were changed, most adapted, most did not thrive spiritually, although they might have thrived uh, Politically, they did not thrive spiritually. Why is it that Daniel in that same environment was equipped and they were not? We understand there's something mutual here. It's not just the effort on the part of the authority or mentors that are placed in the life of a person, but it's also that hunger, that desire, that understanding that although God has provided me people to leave my situation equipped, if I don't put it in the bag, if I don't keep it in the bag, if I don't understand the value of that equipment, it won't help me in the future. We're literally, you live long enough, you watch people, the first struggle they come to, there's a mental, emotional, or spiritual breakdown. I want you to consider that word breakdown. Because there are people in this auditorium having a breakdown. In a church setting, you can hide it, you can disguise it, you can come in with a facade, but inside there is a breakdown taking place. And it shows up in, in, in the privacy of your home or it shows up in, in the privacy of, I, I got to make sure that no one else knows truly that my faith is shaken, my marriage is shaken, my belief in God is shaken. What, whatever it is, we're, we're watching people more dependent upon medication than ever before. We're, we're watching people less sleep, more disturbed, higher blood pressure. How many of you notice that the first word out of doctors' mouths now is stress? That's stress-related. That health issue, that mental issue, that emotional issue, that's stress-related. Now, let me ask you this tonight. Church, I, I know this isn't the normal Sunday night message, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, we have got to be prepared for the struggles of the future and that is not going to happen if we are not equipping ourselves to the Word of God, if we're not equipping the next generation, if we're not understanding the, the cushy life, the amazing luxuries, and all the goodness that God has showered upon us has softened us and to a great degree weakened us. Look what it says in verse 2. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude Again, see, when you are young, you're not expecting this moment. But there will reach, you, you will reach a point in your life when it's a great multitude. It's not a singular person or army or battle. It's coming from every side. Physically, you're dealing with battles. Emotionally, your family, it may be your children or your grandchildren, it may be a spiritual issue, it may be a moral issue, it may be a relationship issue, whatever it is, the stress tends to build, and the longer you live, you would think the easier life would get, but it's all to the contrary, the more complicated life seems to be. And he said, there's a great army coming against you, 
You may reach a point in life, it seems like the doctor is part of that army that's coming against you. I would like to walk in, you say, one time to your office and hear good news. Something good about my cholesterol. Something good about my blood sugar. Something good about my blood pressure. Something good about whatever numbers are put up on that piece of paper when you finish your blood test. Uh, I, I wish you would give me good news and not bad news. You have kids and you thought if I just get them through junior high, if I just get them through high school and then they graduated and then life really got complicated. You thought you were breaking through ministry and now ministry obligations provide greater challenges than ever before. And here's Jehoshaphat. He is over with the, he had dealt with some issues earlier in his reign, but this is going to be the defining moment of his reign and a great army comes against him. And young people, if you can't handle a test in class, if you can't handle a disagreement in high school, if you can't handle a challenge or responsibility provided to you by a leader or a parent, you are ill-equipped for life. If you're overwhelmed at this moment in life by whatever you're being challenged with, you're in trouble. And we should not be guarding them from these difficulties. We should be teaching them how to overcome them and how to deal with them, how to encounter, adapt, adjust, and overcome. Watch our young people. Not equipped for relationships. Not equipped with relationship to God. How in the world can they have a right relationship with each other? Not equipped to handle technology. Destroyed. Young people growing up in church, totally destroyed, forever destroyed by access to modern technology. And we look, we literally, we look oblivious. This is a generation of oblivious adults. Next generation in self-destruct mode because we have not equipped them to deal with these things. We, we just take it, they're, they're going to survive it. They're not going to survive it. And here's what I want to tell parents. If they're not equipped now, then through a series of mistakes and miscalculations and poor judgment, life only gets more complicated for them and for your grandchildren and for Thanksgiving and for Christmas and for your finances. Their complications create your complications because we didn't take the time to spiritually equip them to check their backpack and say, I just want to make sure you have everything in here that you need for today and for tomorrow. There cometh a great multitude against thee. Now, here's what we don't see from beyond the sea. You know what? It's good to be invincible in your youth. And you think that problem is not going to happen to me. Divorce, that's never going to happen to me. Severe marital strife, wayward child, a sudden surgery, diabetes, those things are not going to happen to me. We look at them as an army from across the sea, and they're not going to cross that ocean, and they're not going to make it all the way to my house. And then the next thing you know, the enemy's at the door. There cometh a great multitude against him. Look what it says, verse 3, in Jehoshaphat, feared. Now, the first and normal reaction 
to this kind of problem is fear. Now, this was actually a healthy reaction in Jehoshaphat's case because although he had his moments at this point, he had uh, an alliance with the wrong king. And we see he should be in a fearful spot because young people, when you're doing the wrong thing, you better fear God. He's not going to let you get away with it. He's not going to ignore it. It doesn't matter who's oblivious to it. God is not oblivious to it. And by the way, most people aren't as oblivious as you think. I actually rarely get caught by surprise when someone comes in to my office and tells me what's happening. And I normally, nine times out of ten, I want to say, you're behind the curve. This was obvious way back. Well, why didn't you say anything, preacher? You didn't want anyone to say anything. That's why I got to this point. Because you wanted to be oblivious. This is how things reach this point. And he fears, and he should fear. Because bad things possibly are going to happen. Now, when fear comes into our life, what should be the next thing we do? We begin to take spiritual steps to respond biblically to that fear, to increase our faith and not react improperly. And that's what he's going to do. So fear begins to overwhelm him naturally, and it should because you're about ready to get wasted by the enemy. So what's it say he did? He set himself to seek the Lord. Young people, you need to learn. Here, here's what we have 30 years of preaching. And here's what you have. People like to turn in prayer requests. Preacher, would you pray for me? And I do. And I will. But how about you pray for yourself? How about you set yourself to seek the Lord? I, I want everybody together with me. Yes, but how about you with yourself? Set yourself. Young people, you got parents praying for you and a pastor praying for you and youth workers praying for you and assistant pastors praying for you and teachers praying for you. How about if you pray for yourself? You, you got people trying to get you Bible and you got preachers preaching you the Bible and you got Sunday school teachers teaching you the Bible. How about if you get some Bible for yourself? You got people with goals for your life and vision for your life and preparing for your future. How about if you get goals for yourself and prepare for your future and you set yourself to seek the Lord? You're in an environment where everything is seeking God for you, but none of it's of any value if you don't seek God for yourself. You got a mama that's seeking God for you, and you got a daddy that's seeking God for you. You got teachers that are seeking God for you. You got a pastor that's seeking God for you. But none of that matters at all if you don't set yourself to seek the Lord. He set the example, he prepared his heart. I go back to chapter 19. There's so much in these books about the preparation of the heart to seek the Lord. In one of his misjudgments, look what it says about Jehoshaphat, verse 3, chapter 19, verse 3. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land, and thou hast what? Prepared thine heart 
I believe God spared him because despite his mistakes, there was a spiritual preparation taking place. You know what's amazing to me? Okay, you take a conference like we had this week and you bump it up against Resurrection Sunday. Now you would think of all the weeks out of the year, maybe missions conference or maybe something else, but for the most part, these would be the days, primary days, where people would wake up in the morning and they would prepare their hearts. And Sunday morning, I mean, instead of checking all the scores and reading the news and doing everything, I mean, they, they actually prepare their heart. And maybe in the 30-minute ride, instead of all the, the chitter-chatter and the, the radio and riffraff, and I mean, literally, they're preparing their heart to seek the Lord. And before they ever drove on a 1300 registry, I mean, they were spiritually prepared. And when someone is, you can tell by the way they walk in and the way they sit and the way they sing and the way they greet each other. And you can tell when others are not prepared. Let me ask you this. If you didn't prepare this week, I'm not confident you ever spiritually prepare your heart. Did you prepare it tonight? It's, it's not the job of the pastor to prepare your heart. Not, it's not the job of the music to prepare your heart. It's not the job of the specials and the solo and the announcements or any the prayer meeting. No, you're supposed to prepare your heart before. Preparation means beforehand. Isn't that the purpose of preparation? If I go camping and then once I get there, say, hey, we need to go buy some vittles. They're going to say, well, it sounds prepared, but it's really not. You should have done that yesterday. Anybody have a cooler? Do we have water beside the stream? No. You didn't bring any? But I was thinking about it. And I was praying about it. And I was hoping that someone else would save me. And here's how we walk into church. We have done nothing to prepare our hearts but hoping everyone else has done their part to save me spiritually and bless me spiritually and help me spiritually while I did nothing in self-preparation. We have young people been coming to church for 15 years and never one time in 15 years prepared their heart before they ever came to church. It's like there's a reverse order. I hope by the time I get through all the singing and through all the sermon and get to the invitation, suddenly my heart is prepared for what? To walk out the door and go for a Big Mac? Wouldn't it be much more beneficial we prepared our heart for the service instead of asking the service to prepare our heart? He feared. He set him Self, you, you ought to do a study because I don't want to go there at night. You'll find in the, the warnings of those that did not prepare their heart, you find someone like Nehemiah and Ezra and these men. You know what it's going to say? They prepared themselves. They prepared their hearts. They prepared to keep the law of their God. There was a preparation in mind. You know, we should be spiritual preppers. If you have a 50-pound bag of pinto beans or rice, you ought to have a 50 pounds of 
spiritual preparation before you ever walk into church. You'll use that a whole lot sooner than you'll use that 50-pound bag of beans. And did what? Proclaimed a fast. Now, this is how we know things are serious. Do anything to a Baptist, don't touch their food. We don't go to movies. We don't go to dances. We don't chew. We don't smoke. We don't dance. But boy, can we eat. Pastor, the thought of fasting makes me unspiritual. That's what most would say. How can I be spiritually minded in church if I haven't eaten for 24 hours? Here's how you know someone is serious when they fast. Here's, Here's how you know your child is serious with God when he fasts. When that girl fasts, don't take them to the doctor. Just ask them, is this for God? Is this by choice? What are you doing this for? Now, a leader can get themselves in real spiritual trouble if they proclaim one. I've never proclaimed one. Pastor, you do every year. Two week, three week. It seems like an eternity. Some of you have never even made a food fast. You did, you know, it's all, I do a technology fast. Now, I never proclaimed. This means he actually ordered a fast. When I preach on a fast and give some parameters and make some suggestions, man, it gets quiet. People get uneasy. And you can see kids with this panic look like, I hope dad's sleeping in this one tonight. I hope my mom's in the nursery and she's distracted. Oh, if there's ever a time, oh God, where my mother was gossiping in the nursery, help it to be tonight. Please don't allow her to be focused. Can't afford. My mother's a dictator. Next thing you know, we'll be eating one meal a day and that'll be carrots and celery. He proclaimed a national fast. This is serious. In church, here's... Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're equipping your kids for the future, they better know something about fasting. Because they're going to reach some point in life where the only way to truly get God's attention and change the circumstance is by way of fasting. And if that's a foreign concept to them, God pity them when they come up against a great multitude coming from beyond the sea. Amen. Look what it says. Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities, they came to seek the Lord. Young people, you better learn to ask help. It's, it's amazing. You say, Pastor, that's too basic. No, it's not too basic. Uh, let me tell you a secret about your parents, kids, okay? Parents don't like me telling secrets about them. Your parents will talk to 10 people before they'll ask help of the Lord. They'll speed dial a mechanic, a doctor, a chiropractor, a nutritionist. And they'll go in with certainty. You can fix this. And they haven't even asked God about it. Not one time. They will go down to buy a car from shikesters. I'm talking about people that are going to take them. 
I'm talking about people whose only purpose in life is to take someone else. And they'll go down there, ask counsel, make the purchase, and never talk to God about their vehicle situation. I'm trying to equip you. Before you ever purchase a vehicle, you, you might want to get on your face before God and say, God, I'd like some guidance on this because I don't, want to, I don't want to get a bad deal and I don't want to purchase a lemon and I don't want to be stuck in seven years of payments and uh, I want to make sure you're guiding me on this one. We had better understand this generation has got to be equipped with the basics and they don't even have the basics in the backpack. Can you imagine going to the mountains and you don't even have a water filter? Don't have a knife, don't even have matches. I'm talking about the very basic. You're in trouble. That's how people die. And we're watching young people grow up in church not even equipped for the, for the basic struggles that are guaranteed to come in life. You know what happens? Divorce. You know what happens? Yeah, you know what happens. I don't need to explain that to you. Verse 5. Joshua stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem, the house of the Lord, before the new court. And he begins to pray. And here's what he does. He says, uh, God, you are mighty and your record is perfect. Now, in life, you talk about even the greatest whoever it is in whatever field they're in, uh, they have a lot of losing under their belt. I had someone tell me the other day, LeBron is the greatest basketball player of all time. I don't care about it. I don't care about the argument. I just turned around and said, he's a loser. <laughs> and the person got angry. He said, what are you talking about? You want to talk about how many games he's lost? You want to talk about how many championships he's lost? You want to talk about how many playoff series he's lost and how many scoring championships he's lost? He's done a whole lot more losing in his life than he's done winning. He's a loser. I'm telling you something about God. He's never lost. You put a number there and then you put zeros and you just keep drawing zeros and zeros, zeros because it's not millions and trillions of battles and events and circumstances he's overcome every time we talked this morning about the greatest defeat of all time when he defeated satan and conquered death and came like like there was any chance he was going to lose that like he was struggling to come out of the grave like like it was actually you know what he did he had set his clock and he said, Father, we're, we're looking at a 72-hour rest. Or yep. you, you just tell me when. You just tell me when. And I'm walking out. Yeah. Yeah. And the angel said, you, you got the stone. He said, boy, boy, I made that stone. Yeah. Amen. I'm not going to let in a drop of sunlight until the sun shines out. Yeah. Yeah. The SUN's not coming in. And here's what you've got to understand, young people. When it comes to life and life's battles, you want to walk around. Here's what I want to do. I want to walk around with someone that's undefeated. Key to life is you find the sharpest, brightest, biggest, baddest. And just, if you hang around them, it makes you look better. Makes you look look tougher. You know what? When you're around the biggest uh, dude in the building, 
then you can occasionally, you know, say things you shouldn't say. Amen. Got a backup plan. Right? Here, here's what I love about Vacation Bible School. We bring in all these high schoolers, and you, you get a group. We have football players from Del Valley and, and other areas, and they all come in, and they're built, and they think they're tough. They think they can run faster and jump higher. And every, every year for how many years, Jeremy? Every single year, I just wait, and I find the biggest, baddest one that thinks he's cool and, and can beat and whoop up on anyone. And uh, Thursday night, I take him out to the basketball court, and I say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play to five, and if uh, you beat this guy, we'll give you 50 bucks. If you lose, you get to bring your friends to church on Sunday. Everyone with confidence says, that fat dude, that old man, no way. He ain't beat me. Jeremy, have you lost one time? Now, was it even close? Has it ever even been close? I haven't even been fearful. I walk out there, I pull out the money. I sucker him into the battle. And then I watch him just destroy them. Their eyes, their eyes get about this big when he puts in the first three-pointer from 30 feet. And then the fat boy drives on him, goes all the way under the hoop. And lays it in. You know what? You know why I can act with confidence every time I take one of those big boys out there to the hoop? Because I'm not playing them. I don't have to make one basket. I got my trump card. I'm like, Jeremy, don't let me down. The day he pulls a hammy, we got a problem. I, I mean to tell you, we, we had some big boys out there this year, didn't we? Some big old boys. I've never seen a more confident team in my life. They're like, we got this. I don't even know if they scored. All right, now here's what happens. Why is it when it comes to God, instead of talking him up and putting our total confidence in him, we actually think part of this depends upon me? I don't care what, I don't care if it was COVID. I don't care if it's a big day. I don't care if it's reaching a family that seems unreachable. I don't care what it is in life. There is no way, no way for one second I want to trust in anything that I have to offer God as a part of the victory. Young people, you know what you better do? You walk equipped in the life struggles. You better develop a total confidence in God because he has never even come close to losing, not one time. Look what it says. He says, if, if and when evil cometh upon us and we cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear in help. Verse 12, O our God, wilt thou not judge sin? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon. How many of you ever came to a point in life, if you had a circumstance where you did not know what to do? I mean, literally. I've had six or seven times in my life in ministry where I could point to financial issues. I've told you before, when we were building that building, Pachuca, and we'd order those beams and the money wasn't there, and we had to pay the next day. And we had a lady in our church that was responsible for that. She came to me on Sunday. She said, Pastor, we don't have the money. And I said, no, ma'am. She said, you know, that's my job. 
She said, you know I can go to jail. We placed an order. We owe a debt. If we don't have $17,000 by tomorrow morning, something seriously bad is going to happen. And I had to look in the eyeballs and say, I know. But my eyes are upon him because I don't have an answer. I don't have a friend. I don't have a phone call. I don't have a button to push or a bank account to empty. I have no answer outside of God. And God came through like he always has. Like he always will. Not always the way we want him to come through. Not always the way that we programmed, you know, in our program. But, but the way he says he will. And here's what he did. He said, God, I just want you to know my eyes are totally upon you. Now, here's what happens. A man of God, verse 14, then Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, he comes, the came, then came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, verse 15, hearken ye all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And thou King Joshua. Now, you know what? You know what part of being equipped for the battle is, young people? You need to understand, you need a word from the Lord, a word from the Lord, and most people don't want a word from the Lord. You know what they want? A motivational speaker. You know, we've trained ourselves to lie to people. We get to know people, and when they come and ask us a question, we just tell them what they want to hear. My job is not to tell you what you want to hear. Now, occasionally, I will. And I've had people ask, Pastor, why did you tell me that? Because that's what you wanted to hear. I'm not fussing with you. You've made up your mind. You've already made your decision. You're, you're determined to go jump off the cliff. Can't help you with that. But here's, here's what Josh Fitt said. I want to hear from the, the voice of God. Young people, most people I know call themselves Christian, don't want to hear from God. They want confirmation. Whatever they're doing, whatever decision they've made, they want confirmation. I'm, I'm talking about any church in this nation, any group of Christians in this nation, and not looking for a voice from God or word from God. Not from the pulpit, not in the office, and not in private, and not at any moment do they actually want to hear the word of God we want you to come and make us feel good in whatever decision we're making. Don't create a wave. Look what it says, verse 15. Hearken ye, be not afraid nor be dismayed by reason of the great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's, verse 17. Ye shall not need to fight this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, fear not, be not dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Now, we've, we've done all of that to get to this. This is part of being equipped for the next stage of life. And most Christians, even if they've been in church 10, 20, 30 years, don't have this as part of their equipment. I'm, I'm talking about some of the most aged, immature Christians. Henry, I'm talking about some of the group in church. Some that's been their whole life in church. Some that have been here 20 years or been a Christian for 20 years. They don't have this in their bag. And this is why when they get to the battle, there's a breakdown. Look what it says, verse 18. Joshua bowed his head with his face to the ground. All Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they fell before the Lord. What? 
worshiping. And the Levites, the children of the Kohathites, and the children of the Korites, they stood up to do what? Praise, Praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on the high. Verse 20, believe in the Lord your God, so she be established. Believe in the prophets, so she be prosper. And when he had, verse 21, consulted with the people, he appointed, he designated singers to the Lord that they should what? Praise, Praise the beauty of the holiness. As it went out before the army to say, Praise the Lord for his mercy and earth forever. And when they begin to do what? Sing and to praise the Lord said ambushments. And they were smitten. Young people, you know, you better make sure you're equipped with when you go into life and you get into serious, serious problem. You better know how to praise the Lord. You, you better know how. You don't need a musician and you don't need a song leader and you don't even need a hymn book. Amen. You just know how to praise the Lord. Amen. You say, I don't know how I'm going to change this problem, but Lord, I'm just going to praise you today. I'm going to praise you for being great and mighty and knowing my circumstance, being able to overcome this. I mean, you can speak the word. You can change it today. You can fix this tomorrow. God, this is this way beyond me, this way beyond my ability, this way beyond uh, my wisdom, this is way beyond anything that I can solve or anything that I can do. But I want to praise you that you got this totally under control. Now, here's what happened. We wait until everything is over to praise. And I confess to God while walking through that park normally, God, I wait until the dust has settled. And I'm standing on top sure. with a hand raised in victory to shout a word of praise. Yeah. But this time, I'm so thankful that was one of those times I prefaced the battle Amen. with praise. And young people, the longer you go, the more you're going to realize you better have in your equipment praise. Yeah. Were you... Mom, you see a little word here. Can we praise God for a few minutes? Dad, you seem a little frustrated. I don't know what work's been like lately, but can, can we just take a walk in the woods and just praise God for a little bit? I, I mean, maybe we can just get loud enough to make someone else nervous. Maybe I can scare someone with a praise. These kids are dealing with future battles we did not face. They're, they're dealing, listen... From the size of the temptation to the seriousness of the opposition, from the politicians to the... We have a world so whacked out, so upside down, so distorted in their thinking. You, you can't even watch the news if you wanted to watch the news because in five minutes you're so stomach sick it has to go off. That's right. You know what you need to be doing? Make sure I'm equipped. Make sure I'm equipping them. So when they go into that battle, they're ready. 